I haven't met you yet. My name is Jesse, and uh, I'm just part of a wonderful pastoral team and group of people here, and I uh, just want to welcome you. If you uh, happen to be new, one of the things that we just recently did, we were hoping to launch it last week in the first uh, of the year, but we're actually launching it this week. So if you have your program, uh, many of you who come on a regular basis, you're, you, you probably don't look at these nearly as much as we would like you to, um, but uh, I want you to open them up, especially if you are new or you are newer here, and you'll take uh, just take notice of the fact that we now have in the uh, program, we have a, a spot for you if you're new to fill out uh, information about who you are and uh, and and what you're doing here at Sear Bible Church, whether you're visiting or you're looking for a church home or you're looking to engage in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That has a little perforation on it. You can tear it out. If you take it to the info booth and if you take it to the coffee shop as a new visitor, we have a gift for you. We, we give you a free cup of coffee if you want one. Uh, and then we also have a gift at the info booth for you. And, and if you don't want the gift, but you want to let us know a little bit more about yourself, you want to sign up for our newsletters and the things that uh, are going on in our church, our small groups or our youth ministries, uh, whatever those things may be, please just put them in the, uh, uh, the offering box on your way out and we'll make sure we connect with you. And this morning, I'm going to mention a couple announcements in addition to that. Uh, but before I do, um, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and one of the guys would love to give you a Bible if you want to follow along with us. If you forgot your Bible or you, you don't have one or you don't own one, if you don't own one and you want a free one, you can take uh, one of these uh, as well. And then um, one of the things that uh, is happening uh, here uh, this uh, uh, February is we are launching Financial Peace University again. So if you're looking to just kind of understand how you should handle your finances or you want to get out of debt, this is a great class for you. We Last year, um, we did this last year, and uh, over $100,000 of debt uh, was wiped away through about 30, 40 people who attended this class. So if you're looking to get things secure financially, this is such a a great opportunity for you to partake in. And then uh, for our high school kids, we have a winter camp that's coming up. We mentioned this last week. Uh, we, we are sending the kids to uh, Mount Hermon, and Caleb is really excited about this. And I just want to say thank you. We, we did a fundraiser last week uh, to help raise some scholarships for kids, and we raised $2,000 for, uh, for kids just last week alone to, to try to help uh, those who, who can't afford to go, go. Uh, and we're still taking scholarships. If you, if you would like to partake in that, just put in the, the memo of, of your check there that it's for the high school camp, and we'll make sure that it goes to kids uh, who can't afford to go or leaders that maybe can't afford to go. As I said last week, it's kind of our philosophy here. We never want to hear anyone say that they cannot participate uh, in a ministry or a trip like this because of financial needs. And so we want to make sure all of those needs are met. And then um, after the second service, for those of you who participated in Angel Tree, uh, we're going to do a, a meeting uh, next door and just kind of highlight some of the things that we did and talk about that ministry if you want to know more about that ministry. So with that said, uh, let's get into Galatians, and uh, we're going to be in chapter 5. I want you to go to verse 16, and this morning we're talking about walking by the Spirit. And so if you have the ability to, this morning we love the Word of God, so uh, we stand during the reading of His Word. So if you would please uh, stand with me this morning as we read from chapter 5, starting in verse 16. <clears throat> but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other 
to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Lord, in this section, I pray you help us to understand what it is that you want to say to us. May your word be the tool that shapes us and molds us into your image that brings us true peace. I can't help but think of Paul's initial writings in this chapter that for freedom's sake, you have come to make us free and that we would experience some of that freedom this morning, not the bondage of the world or the bondage of the flesh or sin or anything that wars against us, but we know the freedom that comes from you. So Holy Spirit, be in our midst. Use my imperfection for your glory and do a great work amongst us. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may be seated. All right. So this is kind of one of those uh, passages that if you've been a Christian, you've probably heard it at some point or another. It's the fruit, fruit of the Spirit and then the fruit of the flesh. We're not, um, just, just so you know, we're not going to get into the fruit of the Spirit uh, so much this morning as we are the fruit of the flesh. Uh, and so I just want to give you again a backdrop so if you haven't been here, you know this letter was written by Paul uh, to a church that began to try to work out their salvation on their own strength. The, the Galatian church was, was founded under the auspice, the reality, the truth that you and I are saved for eternity because of the great work that Jesus has accomplished and that we can't add anything to that work. There's nothing that we can do to add to our righteousness, that, that God has, has made all of that possible. And he is, has written this letter not only to the first century church that they would, they would simply not operate uh, in the flesh, but they would lean into the grace of God and that by understanding the goodness that God shows us as sinners that they then would live out their life in a way that is glorifying to God, to, to himself. And, and the first couple parts of Galatians, we, we shared with you that the first part, Paul kind of needed to defend his apostleship. He needed to defend uh, the reality that he did walk with Jesus, he knew Jesus, and so he, he kind of gets into what these guys are known as the Judaizers face and lets them know, hey, I am an apostle, I have the right to write this letter. Uh, I've been called by God. I've seen Jesus face to face. I once was lost, and now I have not only been saved, but I'm a leader in the church. And in the second part of the letter, he has just driven home over and over and over and over again that legalism is not going to save you. And in fact, if you are legalistic, he says, if you're trying to earn your favor before God, then Christ is absolutely of no use to you. You might as well not even be in a relationship with Jesus. You might as well not call yourself a Christian. Uh, and now we get into the third part of the letter, the, the last two chapters that, that talk about the practical Christian 
living. Uh, many theologians and different authors, uh, different pastors have, have called this. These are, these are uh, kind of the idea of what it looks like to be a mature Christian. And so we have, in our church, we have people who come here uh, who are new to the faith. Some of you might consider yourself a new Christian, or you may consider yourself someone who's exploring Christianity. You're, you're trying to figure out what is Jesus all about. And then several of you, because I know you, you, you're more on the mature end. Some of you are leaders in the room. In fact, we're, we're adding uh, two uh, elders for uh, internship uh, starting this year. I, I want to introduce them to you. I haven't had the opportunity to do it uh, yet if you haven't met them. But Dave, would you stand up and, and just let everyone know this is Dave Pastrell. <clears throat> He's He's older than I am, so we need elders in, on our team. Uh, and, and then John Drollinger, he, he, would you stand too, please, and let everyone know who you are? Yeah, so thank you. I, just, I wanted to take time because we, we are what we consider ourselves an elder-led church with the first among equals, recognizing that the, the senior pastor, the lead pastor, has some influence that the other elders don't have, but he doesn't have in any additional votes or, or, uh, on how we go or where we go as a church. And so we, we have men like this uh, that we bring on our team that help us pastor our church, lead our church, uh, and it's accountability and all of that. And so how this works is the first step is we ask them to come on the team uh, as interns. Even though I know both of these men, uh, intern is not the right word for either one of them. They're both uh, highly qualified, intelligent individuals, but it gives us a period of time to make sure that it's a right fit. And then hopefully in six months' time or so, uh, we'll bring them before you and, 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 uh, and then let you criticize whether or not they should be elders, um, which is just always a fun step. Uh, and, then, uh, and then we'll move forward. Um, so we have men like, like, like Dave, uh, who is more educated than everyone in the room put together, right? Uh, and, and, and John Drollinger is a graduate of Masters, yeah? And uh, he's a smart guy too. And so we've got people in the room who, who are mature, uh, I, I, it's funny because I'm teaching and I'm supposed to be mature. And, and as I come face to face with the text uh, this morning and I look at the list of that which is considered immature, I, I have to kind of laugh and say, I'm not mature. It's, it's hard to, to say, I'm a mature person. But this morning, this morning, the idea of, of what is happening in this text and in the text previously to it in the beginning of chapter 5 is Paul is trying to give us a picture of what it looks like to actually be, a, to be a grown-up Christian, to not be what, what the Bible might call a baby Christian. Uh, and so, so really, this shows us in the text here how we grow. And this is kind of how I put it for memorization. We grow as we groan. We grow as we groan. You know what I mean by that? Uh, this text tells us that the Christian, when you come to salvation, you literally end up in war. You end up in a battlefield. Okay, so, so here's kind of what the Bible uh, says in regards to uh, us as Christians, how we become Christians and then what happens when we were Christians. Really, uh, the Bible basically says this. It says that when before you before you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were born in the flesh. Everyone in the room, I know this for a fact because you're here, you were born in the flesh. That's why you're here. You were born from the womb of your mother, and now you exist, and you're here. And the Bible says to be born of the flesh uh, is to be born all the way back from our great 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 grandfather Adam and Eve, 
And we know that when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, that they were perfect and they were sinless, and then they made a decision to not trust God, but to trust what they wanted. And as they partook of the only thing that God said not to partake of, which is the apple of the knowledge of good and evil, sin entered into their bloodstream. And then every child born from Adam and Eve on was born in, the Bible says, in iniquity, in sin in flesh. Uh, And so Paul tells us, he says, the works of the Spirit and the works of the flesh are evident. So what is he saying? So he's saying that, that, first of all, you have something that exists in you. It's what the Bible calls sin or the flesh that makes you yearn and long for certain things that are not healthy for you. So before you became a Christian, the Bible would say you actually you actually, as a, as a non-Christian, so if you're in the room this morning and you say, man, I, I'm exploring Christianity, but I'm not sure I want to buy in, uh, I just want you to know what the Bible would say. It would say this. It would say that you have only one enemy if you're not a Christian. Uh, you really only have one enemy if you're not a Christian, and that, that enemy is, is God. Uh, the Bible actually says to, to be in the flesh is to be warring or to be at enmity with God. Another uh, word that's used in the Bible is hostile, that you're hostile that you're at war with God, uh, and, and, and uh, he's, ag- he's against you. Wow, my, phone, my Apple Watch started to talk to me. Um, and though, then what happens is, at some point, you recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. You make a decision to confess with your mouth that he is God, that he has died for your sins, and that you're going to follow him. You're going to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when you make that decision to follow Jesus Christ and you confess with your mouth, the Bible says what happens at that point in time is the sperma is the word that's used in the Bible, comes into your heart and makes you born again. And the Bible would say that now you're not just born from your mother's womb, but you are born of the Spirit of God because it's this very essence of God that exists within you and awakens you. And now you have two desires. That's the language that's used here in the text we just read, that there are desires of the flesh and there are desires of the Spirit. They both have yearnings that they want to fulfill. They both have appetites that they want. And, and, and what happens when you become a Christian is you become awakened to that the reality that God is no longer your enemy. Amen to that? That, that when you become a Christian, you're no longer uh, in a division with God, in a non-relationship with God. He's not against you anymore, but you're at peace with the God of the universe. That's amazing. You become a very child of God. He becomes your father. And, and this is beautiful, and this is a great thing. And, and then, though, you realize that, that you don't have God as your enemy, but you've inherited three enemies. Not just one, but three. And the Bible would say that those three enemies, uh, if, you, if you have studied the word long enough, you know they are the devil. It is Satan himself. It is the system of the world And the Bible would say, this is where it ties into the text this morning, your flesh. Your flesh. So when when he says you have flesh, he's not talking about about your skin, okay? That's not what it is. It's your sinful nature. And here's how, uh, this is what happens, okay? You... (laughs) You become born again. If you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, you you become born again and you have a new nature, but not yet, not yet has your sinful nature, your flesh, 
been wiped away. So what happens as Christians is we end up with two natures. The old man, this is what Paul says later in, in the word. He says, you have the old man and you have a new man. Okay, if it doesn't take long for you to be a Christian for you to realize the reality that if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to grow through groaning and through warring and through fighting and through wrestling and, and through hardship. Have, have you ever felt at war with yourself? Come on. I have. <laughs> I felt it this morning trying to wake up. Right? We have these moments where we recognize that at times, and you'll, you'll feel them. Here's the deal. Here's the flesh. We'll define the flesh, and then we'll define the spirit. The flesh, here, here's, it's another G word. Remember, say, we grow as we groan. The flesh is about gratification. The spirit is about glorification. The flesh is about gratification. Now, the sinful nature that you were born with has a desire, and verse 17 tells us that this part of us is set against the spirit. Now, the word seven, in verse 17, that is the sinful nature of the flesh, uh, is translated desire or lust. Uh, really, the best translation for this is over-desires. Over-desires. The things of the flesh that war against the spirit are over-desires. They're, 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 they're not, it's not that the desire of some of these things is wrong. It's the over-desire of these things where alcohol becomes drunkenness and sexuality, which is mentioned here in the flesh, becomes adultery or fornication. And and Piper says it like this. He says uh, two different definitions here. Um, The flesh is the ego which feels an emptiness and uses the resources in its own power to try to fill it. The flesh is the I who tries to satisfy the me with anything but God's mercy. So, so what I want you to see in regards to your flesh and your dual nature is that word desire literally means that it is trying to fulfill something. Uh, another commentator, as I was reading this week, called these drivers to life. Why do you live? Why do you exist? Another, the, the best way to put it, why do you do what you do? Why do you do anything that you do? Why do you scroll through Instagram? Why do you have a job? Why do you work the job that you work? Why do you save the amount of money you save? Why do you buy the kind of car that you buy? The, the, the thing is, these, they're saying inside, the ego is what Piper calls it. The, the inside of us, something inside of us says, I need to live to get whatever it is that I need to get. Are you with me? Why do you do what you do? Why do you buy what you buy? Why do you watch what you watch. And he's saying, he's saying the flesh likes to satisfy the desire, the drive with, with stuff, resources. He says, you got an emptiness. That emptiness gives you a desire. You want to fill the emptiness. So you drive to get certain things, a certain feeling, a certain emotion, a certain gratification with anything, he says, the important part here, with anything but God's mercy. Another commentator says it like this. The flesh is an all-controlling drive and longing. This is crucial. The main problem in our, in our heart is not so much desires for bad things, but our over-desire for good things. When a good thing becomes our God, it creates over-desires. The flesh, the flesh wants to feed itself 
with things, with, with people, with substances. We, we're all guilty of this, right? This morning, to, to operate, as I mentioned, my flesh, this morning when I woke up, said, no, you don't want to get up. You really want to sleep, right? How many of you hit the snooze button at least once? At least once, right? I hit it twice this morning. And, and then once I'm up, I, I require two substances to live. Two. One of them isn't what you think it is. One of them is a hot shower. I cannot operate in my daily life in the morning if I do not have hot water on my face. And then the second one, we all know what it is. Heaping doses of caffeine. Those are the two things I need. And, and those, are, those are things that we long for and, and we desire and we use for ourselves uh, Paul would say in Ephesians, to put this before you in chapter 2, verse 1, and he's talking about old nature, new nature, wrestling of the flesh. He says, first of all, you were, past tense, before becoming a Christian, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you once walked. Remember, the title of the message is The Walk by the Spirit. We're going to get there in a minute, but he's, he, Paul says you once walked according to deadness. That's the flesh. The flesh, when you, when you try to take people or resources or things or food or substances to gratify yourself, the Bible would say these things ultimately lead to death. He said you once walked this way following the course of the world. That's what everyone's doing. I mean, this was written 2,000 years ago, and he's already saying to us, they're saying the same thing that we deal with today. Everyone else is living life this way, and you used to live life this way. This is the way of the world. And the way of the world, it says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. That's fancy talk for following Satan, following the ways of the devil, among whom we all once lived in the passions. There's that word, it's the same similar word as desire of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Remember, I told you, it's not just about your skin but also the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Remember I said before coming to Christ, God is your enemy? That's what he's saying here. You were once a child of wrath. You were under the wrath and the judgment of God because you had not yet experienced the grace of God. Uh, and then First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. So now Peter adds to what Paul just mentioned in Ephesians, and he tells us in the text here, if you see it before us, we are to wage war against the flesh. We're to wage war. And notice as Peter says, says when, you are, when you are a child of God, when you've accepted the grace of Jesus Christ, you now are an alien. Uh, what that means, it doesn't mean you're from outer space. It literally means that, that you no longer are a citizen of the United States of America. Uh, this, I'm not going to get all weird and political on you. I'm not going to tell you not to vote, but I am going to tell you, don't make your identity as an American because you're not. If you're a Christian, you live in America as an alien just as anybody else. You with me? Because your identity now is a child of God, and your real nationality, your, your real home, is the kingdom of God. 
So you say, America's great. Okay, yeah, it is, but it's nothing compared to your real homeland. Right now, you're an alien. You're just, you're just passing through. You're just passing through. You don't belong here. You might have a driver's license. I know, hey, pretty soon, uh, you've got to get a real ID. You've heard about this? You've got to get a real ID. I don't know what you've had for the last however many years. Apparently, it wasn't real. But pretty soon, you can get a real one, okay? And you might be able to go in the airport and get on an airplane because you've got your real ID, and, and, and people in the world might recognize you as a real American citizen. Uh, here's the deal, though. If you are, are a Christian, you are never a real American citizen. You're an alien. You have to understand that if you understand the implications of this, it changes the way that you deal with people. It changes the way that you operate because you don't belong here. You don't belong here. And, and, and you should feel this. When you are in a true relationship with Jesus Christ, when you're in the world, you feel weird in the world. You do. You, you just don't feel natural in certain relationships. You, you don't feel natural in, in certain movies. You, you don't feel natural in, in the way that the world operates. I mean, sometimes my wife and I, we're like, what do we watch? What kind of shows can we watch anymore? And we, we wrestle through that tension of, well, we want to be entertained because we have the flesh too. But we can't go that far. Where are we going to draw the line kind of stuff, you know? Because we're talking about how we grow. And, and Paul's saying if you, if you are, are allowing yourself to just full on go headlong into desiring the flesh, it's going to lead to death. Self-pleasure, self-preservation, not not to glorify God, but to gratify the self. That's what the flesh is. It's, it's about me. I want to be comfortable. I, I don't want to be inconvenienced. And, and, and I want to feel good. I want to feel good. Uh, and so we, we, we have this part of us that exists. Uh, if you are a believer, you have a part of you that exists in you, whether you like it or not, that is at war with the born-again part of you. <laughs> which is your spirit. And the spirit, here's the deal. The spirit of God, which is the sperm of God, it's the, it's the part of the Trinity, it's the part of God that comes and dwells within you. God makes you his temple. That's why in Christianity, we don't have a temple we go to because we're, we're that temple. He dwells within us. He dwells not with, within a, a home made with human hands, but within the home that is made by God. And the spirit comes in us and we have this new desire and we know, we know from studying the word what the Spirit wants. The Spirit wants to glorify God. Here's two things the Spirit really wants to do in your life. Number one, the Spirit wants to show you Christ. The Spirit wants you to see who Jesus is. If you go back in Galatians and you look at chapter four, verse six, you and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That is, the Spirit is placed within us that we would Call upon God as dad, a good dad. Maybe not like your earthly father and your, your earthly father's mistakes, but like a perfect father who loves you well and leads you well, that, that he, the spirit comes in, that we would be made a child of God. He wants to show us Christ. That's what the spirit wants to do. And number two, the spirit wants to conform you to Christ. Remember I said that this passage is about Christian maturity. The spirit goes into your heart not just to show you who Jesus is, but to mold you and shape you to be like Jesus. 
That's the work of the Spirit. And then ultimately, this is a third aspect of the Spirit, the Spirit has come to win the war against the flesh. The Spirit has come to win the war against the flesh. Again, another author says the Spirit has landed to do battle with the flesh. So take heart if your soul feels like a battlefield at times. The sign of whether you are indwelt by the Spirit is not that you have no bad desires, but that you are at war with them. I mean, what he just said there is really key. I remember um, when I was a younger Christian, uh, <clears throat> like a lot of us as younger Christians, I, 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 you know, I, I became a Christian at the age of 12. I accepted Jesus as my Savior at 12. And uh, some of you know, when, when my family came to know Jesus, we were literally a, a broken home uh, with a lot of drugs and a lot of alcohol. My mom was the first one who made a faith proclamation in Jesus, and she totally changed. I was telling someone over dinner the other night, uh, I knew my mom had changed because she would get up in the morning to make breakfast because she used to sleep in until the afternoons because she was strung out. And so if it wasn't by God's grace that I didn't have a neighbor who was babysitting, I'd run over to the neighbor and a buddy of mine, and, and that's basically where I was fed uh, and, and taken care of. And then my mom accepted the Lord as Savior. She starts making breakfast. And, and then, and then I've, I've shared this with you before. My stepfather who raised me was not a Christian. He was a big Harley Davidson riding kind of guy. And my mom told my dad, she said to my dad, hey, listen, uh, I'm gonna leave you unless you go to this men's retreat. Total, like that's how you do evangelism. So what I want you to do is you have to go. I'm going to leave you. And I remember my dad packing his duffel bag, dropping F-bombs in, in, in frustration that he was going to have to go to this men's retreat. He went to the men's retreat, and he came back, and he made a proclamation that he was born again and that he wanted to follow Jesus. Uh, and, and, and then after that, you know, it, it was great. Like, I remember the, it was all part in this church. This happened in this church. Uh, and so I was coming to church uh, when my parents would force me. Other times I would pretend in the morning uh, that, that uh, I was still sleeping because when my parents would go to church, if I could, if I could just hold out long enough in stubbornness, I could watch football at TV on TV while they went to church. Uh, and then later as I started to follow Jesus and grow, reading my Bible and, and studying and, and trying to memorize scripture, uh, I remember then in college and dealing with all of that that, that comes as a young man at 18 uh, years old, what comes with trying to be a Christian at 18 in the college realm with partying and girls and alcohol and substances. And, and I, I dove headlong into that for a season and, and combated that and tried to fight that and lost. I lost that battle for a long time. And then one day my, my aunt said to me, she was working for a pastor in San Diego, and she said, you've got to go to San Diego. And I made the journey to San Diego to go to a school of ministry that I would, that I would dedicate my life to Jesus uh, and just to get right. And I went to just get right with God because I knew, I knew what the text is telling me. If you look at verse 20, 21, there's a warning here. If you, if you are going to dive in, and we'll get to the, the list of the negative stuff here in a moment. I'm not going to spend uh, a ton of time in, in it, but I do want you to see that when we gratify the flesh and when we dive headlong into the things of the flesh, the result, verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you now. Here's the warning. I warn you as I warned you before. So this isn't something new Paul's introducing here. 
that do, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, now this is interesting language because it, it, it can speak to, to this habitual sin that you refuse to repent of, habitual fleshy living that you refuse uh, to, to, to repent of, that, that yes, indeed, yes, indeed, that, that there, there is a place that you will go that is eternal separation from God that is called hell, that you will not be in a right relationship with him because it is, it is obvious that since you are not warring and you are not battling and you are not fighting, that you simply are not saved. And we all should do well to, to at least take some time to look inside ourselves and say, am I fighting against spirit? Not am I perfect, not am I perfect, but, but am I still warring? You know, yes, guys, you're going to deal with lust probably all of your life, but, but have you given into it? Or are you warring against it? it but, but the language, the kingdom of heaven, our citizenship, is also speaking back to what Paul has mentioned about, about who we are in Christ. We're to be free in the kingdom of God, and, and to be free literally means that we're going to experience a kind of peace, a, a kind of joy, a, a, a kind of uplifting of the soul. And that if you are not fighting the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, meaning that it is very likely that you will not have the eternal satisfaction and gratification that Jesus brings here and now. Uh, And I say that as an, I mentioned my story as an example of, of I, I know what it was like to say I was a Christian, that I believed in Jesus, and to still drink heavily and to still dive into the drunkenness of the world and then only to experience the hatred of self, the depression of, of, of my own well-being. It just simply wasn't healthy. I read an article this week um, where they call it uh, deaths of despair. Have you heard this term? That, that, that we're dealing with uh, numerically an a enormous amount beyond anything that we could ever think or imagine of of what they call deaths of despair. So you have clinical uh, psychologists and, and scientists and, and what have you saying, we have an actual term for what we're experiencing right now, and that term is deaths of despair. And what they say the deaths of despair are are those who are dying by a huge amount of opioid, opioid uh, abuse, alcohol abuse, and suicide. They're saying more people are dying from alcoholism uh, than they have even previously uh, before our generations. And, and the reason for that is because, because the world knows, the enemy knows you have a desire, you have a hole, you have a passion in your heart that must be filled. Every single person is born with that. And, and because we know it's there, we reach out for things and stuff and people uh, and, and emotional feelings and substances to fill the heart, to fill the void. And then, and then we're being told by people who don't know God that it's quite likely you'll die of despair. But then to be born of the Spirit, to glorify God, to war, is to say, I want Jesus to be my satisfaction, not the desires of the flesh. Let me just give you the categories here. The, the things that we take, the things that we use to fill ourselves with the flesh. One is, there, there are three words in verses 19 that have to do with sexuality. So, so Paul's open in letting us know that one of the ways uh, in which we try to fulfill our desires is through sexuality. And there's 
three categories of sexuality. One is sexual intercourse between unmarried people. The other word that's used in purity is unnatural sexual practices, that which is deemed unnatural outside of the traditional view of what, a, what the beauty of sexuality is between a man and a woman in marriage. And then the third use is uncontrolled sexuality. So, so we're, we, we recognize that there are wrong ways to have sex, and then there's uncontrolled ways as well. In addition to that, there, there are two words in verse 20 that deal with man-made religion. So one is sexuality, the other one is religion, idolatry and witchcraft. Uh, these are the ways in which we try to satisfy the soul through doing church instead of doing Jesus. So, so Paul lets us know that there is a right way to be a Christian and there is a wrong way to be a Christian or, or a wrong way to approach spirituality. Just because it says be nice, uh, be kind, and do good does not mean it's actually going to fill that hole in your heart. And then there are eight words in verses 20 through 21 that describe how the flesh destroys relationships. So you have the sexual side, a religious side, and then, and then the flesh has attitudes uh, that ruin relationships between one another. Selfish ambition, which is competitive, competitiveness, self-seeking motive, envy, coveting, desiring that which others have, jealousy, and a zeal and an injury, uh, energy that come from a hungry ego, and hatred, meaning hostility towards others. And then there's four words that describe the results of these attitudes. What are the results, the text says? Being argumentative, picking fights, fits of rage, outbursts of anger, dissensions, divisions between people, and factions where permanent parties war against different groups. And, and then on top of that, the list is lengthy, yeah? That's why we don't have time to get into all of it. And then there are two words that refer specifically to substance abuse, drunkenness, and orgies. These two words are linked uh, and, and, and they are speaking of us taking or creating substances that we would use for our pleasure. The, the Bible actually says in regards to drunkenness, it says, do not be drunk, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when you're drunk, you're filled with, and the reason that it's an important connotation, an important connection, when you're drunk, it's, it's false uh, it's, it's kind of a false reality of what the Holy Spirit brings. But if you've ever had a buzz or you've ever been drunk, you know uh, there is a point within drinking that it's, it, it feels really good. And you can, admit, you can admit that's true, okay? You don't have to, like I'm in church and you're going to pretend like not feeling a certain buzz doesn't feel good. It feels good. That's why people do it, okay? And you'll feel, you'll feel a joy, right? Maybe you're a happy drunk, Hey, have you ever met those guys? They always want to hug you and they tell you how much they love you. My dad was an alcoholic. He was an angry drunk. Uh, and there comes a point where you cross the threshold in, in, in drinking where, where you lose control. Uh, you might even black out. Uh, and what the Bible says, the reason the Bible says don't be drunk but be filled with the Spirit is because the Spirit actually brings those eternal things uh, within the right balance that you're supposed to have. The Spirit does bring true joy and true happiness, but not the kind that is fleeting and not the kind that makes you throw up in the morning, but the kind that makes you want to long for and, and yearn for more. So he, the list is actually broken up, just so you know, uh, I would say in two parts. 
part of the list deals with trying to fill the emptiness with legalism, which Paul's been hammering home the whole text, uh, the, whole, the whole part of, of Galatians. And then the other part is trying to fill the hole in the heart with licentiousness. Or another way to say it is, you can fill the hole in your heart, try to fill the hole in your heart with, with, uh, with religion, or you can try to fill the hole in your heart with non-religion. And what's interesting is that Paul would take time to actually let us know that there are church people who are trying to fill their heart uh, in the wrong way as church people, and there are non-church people who are trying to fill the hole in the heart with non-church people kind of stuff, and Paul's saying neither, neither one of them actually obtains the perfection and the glorification of the Spirit, the, the peace and the freedom that Paul's been speaking of that comes in this chapter. So he's letting us know that there are people in the church who are just as guilty, even though they're tidied up, as those who are out there on the street totally drunk. So you know what that means? It means the gospel is for you, and the gospel is for them, and the gospel is for everyone. All of us are in need of knowing the grace of God so that when we war against the the flesh, we do it in a way that is correct and right. Which is is to say we do it it, uh, as an act of worship. You say, okay, so now we're going to get to the, uh, the, the end of the sermon where I start to try to give some practicality of how do you war against the spirit? How do you, or the flesh, how do, you, how do you become an individual that rightly and correctly is someone who is submitted to the glory of Jesus and you are becoming a mature Christian? Remember I said now, you, you grow as you groan. So, so the first thing is to recognize you are at war. If you do not recognize that you're at war, you're not going to win the war. You can't go into a battlefield thinking you're going to a party. You can't because you're going to get wiped out. You have, to, you have to adopt a mentality that you as a Christian uh, are at war with the devil and with the world and with the flesh. And it is a war that, first of all, has already been won. Ultimately, it's already been won, so you have to do it in victory. And then, so that's number one. You've got to admit that you're at war. Number two, number two is uh, you, you, um, you have to do it with an attitude of glorification, or another way to say it, you have to do it with an attitude uh, of gratitude. You can't do, you can't war because you have to try to get something from God or you want to get something from God. You have to do it because it's, it's worship, it's worship, which is, which is our way as Christians to say, everything that I do is to say thank you, to say thank you to God. And the attitude of gratitude changes everything, yeah? So let's get, th- those are the two parts. Admit your or, do it with gratitude, and then here we go, you gotta walk by the Spirit. How do you do that? First of all, note that he says in verse 16, you have to walk by the Spirit. The, the, the word walk alone lets you know that this is a continuous regular habitual action of life that does include progress, though it be it slow. So when we say when we grow as Christians, it's incredibly painfully slow. Have you ever noticed that? Does anyone, I mean, there are people who grow fast, but most of us don't. Uh, some, of you, some of you are older than I am, and you'll tell me that you're still growing, right? Wayne uh, has been a senior pastor, and Wayne's on the, the farther end of his ministry, Yeah. We'll all admit that in the gracious way possible. Are you still groaning in your faith? <laughs> it, 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 it's, so I want you to see something here. Uh, you've, it's, this is going to require you to do this every day. You have to walk every day. One of the things that I've 
tried to put in practice for my own health is getting up in the morning, uh, drinking copious amounts of caffeine, and then walking. Uh, and which is, it's really difficult to do in the winter, so I've been doing, I've been doing it uh, at the rec center. I'll go to the rec center, and they've got that indoor track. Have you seen this? Um, I, I now find myself waking up in the morning loathing that track because it's boring. <laughs> uh, and, and Dick's here, and sometimes uh, Dick provides the entertainment on the track while I see him attempting to play pickleball in the gym. And I'll watch these guys play, and it's just, it's every day, and there's something about that walking. You know, I'll listen to a podcast. I'll do something to, to, that, that is work-related to help me grow. But, man, it's, it's walking. How, how many of you have ever, ever, like, been really, really lazy, and then, you know, first of the year came around, and you bought a Fitbit so you could track how many steps you take in a day? Some of you are doing this because you don't want to raise your hand. Because you know, the, like you, <laughs> I remember the first time I got a Fitbit, it was several years ago, and I, it was when I was really gaining a lot of weight, and I was like, okay, I'm not, obviously I'm not as active as I think I am, so I put the Fitbit on, I did all this research, and, and the research said that you, had to, you have to take a minimum of what? Who knows? How many steps a day? 10,000. So I thought, that's not, that, that can't be that bad, right? So I put the fit, Fitbit on, did my job, worked, uh, didn't look at it, went to the end of the day, by the end of the day, looked, and it was like, 3,500 steps? Oh, man, no wonder I'm so fat. Uh, and so I started a practice where some of you have, have, you know, you've, I speak in the front, so you kind of see me go through this process where, where I, I was really, really large. And then I, I got really, really skinny uh, about two years in after having my Fitbit because I was getting twenty to 25,000 steps every single day. Yeah, way, way to go me. And then I realized, you know, I hate this. I really hate it because it's too habitual. And so then I went to the gym and I had an intention to lift weights and, and walk. And, and, uh, and the result of that was I, I put on uh, more meat and more fat. And now I'm back to walking again because it works. It works. Walking works. It, there, there's nothing fancy about it. Your heart rate doesn't go sky high. You, you may not even break a sweat, but if, if you walk every day, you'll lose weight. And some of, you are, some of you are like, you know, I might try this. It's boring. It is boring. The idea of what Paul's saying, though, here is you've got to walk by the Spirit. You've got to do this habitually. And some days, now there might be some of you who disagree with me, some days living the Christian life can feel boring. I do this every day. I'm praying every day. I'm studying every day. I'm doing all the same things every day. Uh, you have moments where, where, like Paul says, you were running well, where it feels like you're running and you're accomplishing, but you've got to walk by the Spirit. You say, how do I walk by the Spirit? Verse 18 tells us you have to be led by the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? To be led by the Spirit is to live by faith. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. In addition to that, if you look at verse 22, not only are we to be led by the Spirit, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. How am I going to do that? How am I going to produce the fruit? I want you to know that's the fruit. We're going to talk about that next week. What is that fruit? But to get that fruit, Jesus tells us how to get the fruit. If you want love, peace, joy, if I'm going to walk by the Spirit, if I'm going to get, how do, 
How in the world do I get the fruit? He tells us Jesus himself in his own words in John chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. Do you remember the text? He says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch can't bear fruit by itself unless he abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears what? Much fruit. Well, walk by the Spirit, bear fruit. How do I do it? You've got to abide in Jesus. You know what that means? You've got to meditate on God's promises. You've got to memorize Scripture. You've got to sit with Jesus and, and do what we don't like to do, which is to put down the cell phone, turn off the TV, and sit in silence and pray. How many of you do that on a regular basis? And then contrast that with how, how are you really feeling at peace in connection with God, because there's a connection there. You're going to have to abide with Jesus, my friends, if you're going to fight the war. You go, how do I fight the war? How do I ensure that I don't fill my heart with substances that are going to destroy me and lead me to a death of despair and disconnect me from God? You have to sit with Jesus. I love what George Mueller says about this. He says, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend to every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord or how much I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. Now, what is the food for the inner man? Not prayer, but the word of God. Now, he's not saying prayer is not important, but he's saying that he sat and he meditated well on God's word. When was the last time you sat down and you turned off all the digital devices and you locked your kids in a room so they wouldn't interrupt you? And you just sat with the Lord in gratification, with gratitude, and you just thanked him for the promises that are true for you as a child of God. That you sat there and you thought for just a few moments about the fact that you were forgiven. That you thought for a few moments that shame is not something that is lorded over you in Christ anymore. That you thank God for the promise that you are no longer at war with God, but your eternal peace with God. And that if God is for you, who can be against you? It was the last time that you just thanked God for the fact that we can actually hear him speak. All we must do is open up this holy, holy and beautiful book. That it has been sustained over criticism and time and, and, and mockery and disdain. That People have tried to burn this book. People have tried to get rid of this book, and yet it just won't go away. It's here, and it causes movements and change and freedom. I, I, I'm thankful I get to hear stories every week of how the word of God changes the heart of man. So we must meditate and to think. And then he tells us, he tells us there's this condition in the text here that we must crucify the flesh. You, you, you have to starve it out. <laughs> I'd heard, I don't know, you know, every analogy breaks down to some point, but, and some of you probably heard this before, the flesh and the spirit are like two warring dogs. And this, this analogy stood out to me because I grew up with Rottweilers. Big, mean Rottweilers. And my, my dad, remember I told you, he, he was a rough guy. He raised this dog, and his name was Otto, and he went by German commands. And, and the, way that my, the way that my dad thought was, it has to go by German commands, so if I send my dog to kill somebody, that that person cannot say stop, and the dog would listen, right? He was only going to listen if you knew German. Now, 
I know. It, I know. And uh, he was a tough dog. Josh, do you remember those dogs? You don't? <laughs> it's, <laughs> so I know it's not uncommon, but it's not right either. Um, our, our, our Rottweiler one year broke off of his uh, leash and was dragging a Christmas tree around the neighborhood. He was, he was a big dog. And, uh, and he would get in fights with other dogs. Our neighbors would always complain because he would always beat up these other dogs and he almost killed several dogs in the neighborhood. And so I've seen him in many, you know, wars of attrition. And um, I heard a pastor say, the flesh and the spirit are like two fighting dogs. And they're at war with each other. They're trying to consume each other. Their desires, they're biting and they're, they're devouring one another. And, and then the pastor said, how, how do you know which dog is going to win? He said, the one you feed the most. The one, that, the one that you are feeding. Do you feed the flesh? Then that dog is going to win. Are you going to feed the spirit? Then that dog is going to win. So my friends, as we, we leave here this morning, may it be our motivation and gratitude and worship to feed the spirit, the things that the spirit needs, to feed your soul. And, and may, you, may you in this season starve out the flesh to say no to the things that feed your self-gratification uh, that you would not grow weary while doing good. Amen? So if the worship team would come on up, and uh, as we sing, I want you just to think about a couple of these things uh, as takeaways for our time together. Man, my ear's ringing. Um, Number one, what what works of sinful nature in your life? I I just want you to take some time to reflect uh, in the week, and these things are in your program, they're in your notes. Uh, They get posted online, uh, and and they're in all kinds of different places uh, for you to use this week if you lose them. But I I think it'd be helpful for you to just admit the the areas of your flesh that you like to to use to try to satisfy yourself, those things that are not like Jesus. I remember there's a gal that used to come to church here, and she would confess that buying shoes was her way of making herself feel better. I don't know if you've ever done the name. Someone said, someone said amen. So obviously it's, it's a, a relatable deal. Um, hey, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm guilty, I'm guilty of, um, of going on Amazon and just scrolling through things. I won't buy them because I can't afford it, uh, but I do look at them. And, and just to distract myself, I, it'd be nice to have this thing, and I could get it in two days. Um, that might be one of the, but just recognize those things. Like, like take time to understand that the enemy, the enemy is doing things in your life to try to distract you from who Jesus is. Uh, it's easy to pick on the things that, that, uh, that, that the world that we know, you know, whether it's drugs or alcohol abuse or pornography, or those things are real too, uh, and just confess those things to Jesus and bring them before him. And then and then I just want you to ask the question, how will you preach the gospel? How will you abide with Jesus this week and the idea of his grace and acceptance uh, that, that you would undermine those over-desires? Uh, and so the question I'm, I'm asking uh, is for you to ask this, this week and for you to try to answer is how can you walk by the Spirit? How can you submit yourself to Jesus? So let's pray, and uh, uh, hopefully this week will be a good week of warring and battling against the flesh. Lord, we thank you... Um, We thank you you're for us, you're not against us. We thank you that ultimately the war has been won and that you are victorious. I pray we walk in that victory, not as victims, 
but as conquerors. And that we would be purified of things in our life, Lord. That we'd be at war. And it's a war that we'll fight until you take us home. May we be thankful that we're at war for other people's peace, for our own peace, Lord. And just empower us to, to do the work necessary to continually be in that right relationship with you. We trust you in these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us?